this week on Myths and Legends, there are two stories by the Grimm brothers. On the first, we'll see a mother have faith in the intelligence and strength of her children, and then see that she was very wrong to do so. On the second, we'll see why it can sometimes be a good idea to take a swim in a well in the middle of winter. The creature this week is a lonely guy who only wants a friend, and to not be set on fire. This is Myths and Legends, episode 203, Out of the Woods. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins, and others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. This week, there are two stories from the Grimm Brothers, two brothers who collected stories from folklore in what would be Germany in the 1800s. The first is a fun story of kids in mortal peril, and the second one is of a girl with a fairy tale life. So, a young woman living in a nightmare where her father died and she's left with her evil stepmother. The mother goat drew her seven kids close. You all know I love you, right? With all the love a mother could have for her children, her kids looked up, all smiles. They knew. They loved her too. All right, the mother said, rising and throwing her pack over her back. She was leaving them alone in their house in the middle of the dark forest while she ventured out for food. The kids, actual kids by the way, they're all goats, said, Alone? This is a super dangerous time. I mean, you have a house. You know how many children would kill for a house? Actually, Hansel and Gretel literally killed for a house, the mom said. You'll be fine. Just don't open the door for anyone. Especially that wolf that will devour you all. Skin, hair, everything. The youngest spoke up. The, the what now? The mother goat rolled her eyes. The wolf. The one that wants to kill and eat all of you. And has been trying since you were born. Just... Stay in the house and don't let anyone in, and you'll be fine. Really, just don't fall for any of his disguises and you're good. Disguises? The kids asked. This was getting more and more complicated. The mother sighed. Yes, disguises. She said the wolf had black furry feet and a gruff voice. If someone came to the door with either of those things, then it was the wolf. But if they had white fluffy feet and a sweet voice like her, let her in. Also, she was their mother. They should recognize her voice. Seriously, this was not difficult. The youngest looked down at his notes. Gruff voice, black furry feet. Either of those things, don't let them in. Got it. Good, the mother said. All right, I'll be back. Remember to open the door for me and only me. It was like five minutes after she left that the seven kids heard a knock on the door. A gruff voice growled. Hey, it's me, your your mom. I'm back. I, I brought you all presents. I got you all Tamagotchis. Let me in. The youngest said that he could tell that the wolf honed his child-devouring skills in the late 90s and hadn't updated the playbook since then. Tamagotchis are like an app now, and it's not as fun, but maybe that's just nostalgia. Also, you sound nothing like our mom. You're actually growling. They heard a grunt of frustration, and saw the black, furry feet stomp down outside before the wolf stormed off, defeated.
He had lost the first battle, but he would win the war. He knew that there were seven plump kids just behind that door, and they weren't particularly smart. He found his way to the village, where he snatched a jar of honey in some versions, a piece of chalk in the others, and consumed it, sweetening his voice. Voice sweetened, the wolf returned. He knocked again. Hey, hey kids, I um, got some Pizza Hut personal pan pizzas from the Book It program, and you don't actually have to read. Got some slap bracelets too. Open up, it's mom. The wolf sang sweetly. About half the kids rushed to the door, ready to get those pizzas and bracelets. But the youngest stopped them, standing between them and the door gesturing down. There, they saw the wolf's feet, black and hairy. No matter how much the honey made him sound like their mom, they couldn't ignore the evidence in front of their eyes. It was the wolf trying to trick them. The youngest told him as much, and the creature, again, stormed off. You're a wolf, the baker said to the wolf, a creature who had come into his store asking for dough for his feet, saying that they were sore. Do you want the money or not? The wolf said, propping his feet up. The baker did, so he massaged some dough on the wolf's feet, which is, I guess, a thing people do. Feet disguised, the wolf needed them to be white like the mother. Why he didn't just ask the baker, who presumably had flour and was already in on the plot, to cover his feet in flowers beyond me. But he didn't. He walked across town to the miller. No, I won't cover your feet in flowers so you can look like the goat children's mother and eat them. The wolf snarled, leapt atop the miller, flashed his teeth over the man's neck. I mean, yes, I would love to help you in your endeavors, up to and including devouring children, the miller said, forcing a smile. He sprinkled flour all over the wolf's paws, and the wolf thanked the man. The story is pretty hard on the miller saying that he was afraid the wolf would devour him, so he aided the beast, because, quote, men are like that. Soon, back at the goat family's house, the kids heard yet another knock. Hey, kids, it's me, the wolf sang. Your mom. I got some Surge Cola and some of those AOL CDs for free internet access. You can all make AIM screen names. Let me in. The voice checked out. So did the white hooves. The youngest was still concerned, though. Their mother didn't like them to have that much caffeine, and AIM was shut down surprisingly recently in 2017. And, oh yeah, the wolf had already come by twice, trying to get them to let him in. The other kids, though, had no problem, and opened the door. And he ate them all. It was a cacophony of bleating, screaming, and tiny hooves rushing around the home, trying to find a place to hide but the wolf snatched all of them and ate them. His belly nearly touching the ground, he lumbered outside and sat underneath a tree to rest. The mother goat broke into a run when she turned the corner, seeing the door thrown open and the contents of her home ransacked. She skidded inside to find that they were gone. They were all gone. Everything that the youngest goat had feared had come to pass. They had all been devoured by the wolf. She began to weep for her children. Mom? She heard and gasped. It was him, the youngest goat. At the last moment, when he had pleaded with his brothers and sisters to not open the door, he had tucked himself into the grandfather clock. 
As such, he was the sole survivor of the wolf's attack. He told his mom of the wolf and how he had eaten the kids whole. He hadn't gone far either. That's why the youngest had been too scared to escape. He was just outside, asleep underneath the tree. The mother spun around and saw the wolf out there, belly distended. Then she saw something else. She rushed to the drawer and started brooding through it. She grinned. Here they are. Two minutes later, they were standing right next to the wolf. The youngest son was wide-eyed. Did his mom think that this was a good idea? He had seen the wolf eat his siblings through the cracks in the door to the clock. The guy was ferocious. The mother nodded. Exactly. And she jammed the scissors into the wolf's stomach. This story gives a whole new context to the concept of a food coma. Because that wolf, well, that wolf was out. He was out when the mother sliced a baby goat-sized hole in the skin of his abdomen, and a head popped out. Hey, Mom! Everyone, it's Mom! The goat that popped out whispered. He narrowed his eyes. Wait a second. How do we know you're not the wolf? The mom pointed to the sleeping wolf, whose stomach they were protruding from. The little goat narrowed his eyes. Hmm. All right, checks out for now. He leapt out. And so did the other five siblings. The youngest said, let's go. But the mother shook her head. Not yet. She pointed to a pile of rocks and told the kids to bring them over. When they did so, she piled the rocks inside the wolf's stomach to replace the weight of the kids. She then pulled out a needle and thread and started sewing. As she sewed, some children marveled at how she could sew without fingers. Others asked why she didn't just leave the wolf with a gaping wound in his stomach. Still others wondered why she just didn't kill him outright. Regardless, the moment it was done, the wolf started to stir. The mother goat, the youngest, and the six recently freed children rushed off and hid. The wolf yawned. Wow, deep sleep for a midday nap. He patted on his belly. That was a good meal. Huh, didn't remember that bloody seam being there. Weird. Anyway, his tongue stuck to his mouth. He should get a drink. He lumbered on over to the well, the rocks knocking against one another. He patted against his belly. It had been a while since he had had a meal that good. All right, water time. He couldn't even reach the rope over his belly, so he hefted his bulk onto the side of the well and leaned over. Got it. <gasps> oh, no. The rocks in his stomach pull him down the well as the goats, who were watching, hopeful, from the woods, cheered. The wolf tried to swim to the surface, but the rocks in his stomach weighed him down. He looked up, and he saw the mother goat and the seven faces of her kids looking down into the well, waiting to see if the wolf would be able to climb up. As they watched him struggle, panic, and die, the mother and her children cheered, dancing around the slowly drowning wolf in the well. first one was a fun one. It contains a lot of different elements from a lot of different Grimm stories, like the threes, the big bad wolf, the wolf getting rocks sewn up in his belly, but it was nice to have a story where everything works out for everyone. You know, except for the wolf, who died with kids dancing for glee around his body. Anyway, we will get into the second story today, but that will be right after this. 
Oh my gosh, I'm adopting a puppy right now. But I realize what's at home. Oh no, I have nothing. Well, except unconditional love. But yeah, no crate, no pee-pee pads, no dental chews for his little puppy teeth. Before I doubt myself as a new parent, I just get Instacart to deliver everything from PetSmart. Easy, just like raising a puppy is going to be, right? Get Pet Essentials from PetSmart with Instacart. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum per order. Additional terms apply. The daughter, the young woman, had a fairy tale life, which means, of course, that her mother died. And when her father remarried, the woman he had married had a lazy daughter from her first marriage. And the new stepmother hated her stepdaughter and forced her to spin thread with a distaff and a spindle until her fingers bled. A situation that had somehow gotten worse when the first daughter's father died, leaving her alone with her stepmother and stepsister. Yes, a fairy tale life. Now, she sat by the well, as she always did, spinning until her hands bled, as she always did. It was actual physical torture, but it was better than being home with her stepmother and stepsister. She looked at the sun in the sky and gasped. It was late. She needed to go home and make them dinner. She jumped up, and from her bloody hands, the spindle slipped, flew, and landed in the well. With a plop, the daughter watched it disappear into the darkened water. She strained after it, but it was already gone. She had lost it. So, go after it, the mother said to the daughter that night, without looking up from the meal the girl had made. The daughter said that she couldn't swim and the well was deep. The stepmother met her daughter's eyes. So? The daughter said that she would... She would die? The stepmother turned to her stepdaughter. Wow. Yeah, oh my gosh. The girl was right. What were they saying? They loved her... <laughs> can't even do it. Can't keep a straight face, the woman said to her daughter. I see you cracking up and I can't help it. She turned back to her stepdaughter. No, dear, we don't care if you live or die. The spindle is worth more to us than you are, so go get it, or I'll throw you down the well myself, the stepmother said, and resumed her dinner. The other daughter rushed off, weeping out the door, back to the well. Her tears rippled on the surface of the water. It would never get better. The happy times in her life were so distant. She was trapped now. She stood on the edge of the stone well, looking down into the darkness. Somewhere down there, the spindle sat. Soon, she would as well. She took a step and braced herself for the plunge. It was dark and cold, she kept falling in the black, kept dropping toward the bottom. She lost which way was up. Soon, she stopped trying altogether. She opened her mouth, and the water rushed in. She lost consciousness. She coughed and rose to her hands, but where was she? It was a beautiful meadow. The well, the road, her home, they were all gone. 
It was just flowers and sunshine here. Wherever she was, it was infinitely better than her home. So she walked. If she was dead, then it obviously wasn't all bad. And if she wasn't, even better. She walked in this earthly paradise until she heard screaming. It came from the cottage just up ahead, through the trees. And she rushed and banged on the door, but no one answered. Inside she heard, help me, help me, I'm going to burn in here. She tried the door and yeah, it was open. She rushed into the small bakery, to the oven, and threw it open. And didn't see a witch inside. That was my first thought. She did, however, see a few loaves of bread, screaming, Get us out! When she did, the bread breathed, you know, without lungs. Thank you, they said. We were about to burn in there. And you don't want that? She asked, still confused by talking bread. The bread grimaced at her. No, do you? The girl said no, but also people didn't eat her. <laughs> the bread laughed. Well, people didn't eat them either. They were just born in that oven, and they were excited about all the adventures they were going to get to go on in this wonderful journey called life. The girl smiled. Yeah, she, she should be going. Not because she didn't want to be around when the loaves realized the terrifying reality of their existence. Just, she had to go. The loaves tried to wave by, but they didn't have any arms. Huh, how are they supposed to travel without muscles? Weird. Eh, they'd ask their creator when the person returned. The daughter continued on through the forest and away from that awkward conversation when she heard more screaming. This wasn't as panicked as the self-timed bread oven, but more so to get the girl's attention. But shake me, she heard. Sh shake me, please. She emerged to find an apple tree standing there, full of big, ripe apples. Yeah, hi, my apples are super ripe and ready to fall and I just need someone to shake me. You have human hands and arms. Mind helping me out? The girl said, sure, okay, and after a good bit of shaking, with every apple on the ground, the tree thanked the young woman. They were good now. She could leave. The girl said that that, that was weird. Not as weird as you not leaving, the tree said. And the girl shrugged. Whatever. And that really was the end to that weirdly short episode. The forest was a strange place, but she traveled onward until she saw a cottage. Now, the young woman knew the stories and knew the first two rules of the Myths and Legends podcast. She even ordered a t-shirt with a list of rules, which, now that I'm thinking about it, that must have been the t-shirt that we shipped to medieval Europe. She knew you didn't go into the dark forest alone. And if you do, you don't go into the house there. But the house didn't look all that creepy. It was a quaint little cottage. Then the curtains flew back, and in the window was a crone with long, sinister teeth. The young woman gasped and took off in a run. She should have listened to her t-shirt. She ran from the clearing, rushing back into the forest, and the crone was suddenly in front of her. She turned around, and the crone was there. The young woman staggered backwards and fell and the crone was on her, but not eating her or hog-tying her for a meal later. The woman was looking at the girl's fingers. Calloused and bloody, the old woman searched the younger. It couldn't have been that. Then she saw that the girl was still wet, and the old woman sighed. Oh, dear, no. She told the young woman to get up. The old woman said she wouldn't hurt her. The old woman took the younger's hand and rubbed the wounds. When she pulled her crooked fingers away from the young woman's hand, 
the girl was healed. She helped the girl to her feet. She said that she was Frau Halle. You don't need to be afraid. I, I know how this looks. I know the stories. I was here before the stories. Before the empires and cities. Before the tribes of people roamed north, Frau Hollis said, staring off into the distance. Then she shook her head, but I, I won't hurt you. You're safe here. Despite the old woman being a stranger in the forest with long teeth telling her that she was older than civilization, the young woman believed her. Maybe not the older than civilization part, but the part about her being safe. The young woman smiled. And she was safe. She had to work in the old woman's house. She had to work in her own house, after all. But Frau Halle was fair and kind. And the work wasn't easy, but it wasn't cruel. There was a strange bit, though, where Frau Halle showed her her bed and how to shake the feather bed so vigorously nightly that the people in the world would have snow. The daughter didn't know what this was about, but she did it to Frau Halle's satisfaction every night. The young woman didn't know how long she spent with Frau Halle. It could have been a week, a year, a lifetime. She lost track of the days where Frau Halle would watch over her like the mother she had lost too soon as the pair explored the forest, prepared meals, and talked. And the nights were a warm blur where the snow came down outside and the fire crackled as the girl took the bed and Frau Halle slumbered in the chair. One day, though, the daughter felt a pang in her heart. She didn't know where it came from or why it was happening. But soon after, the memories began to find their way back in. Memories of home, of her life. That day at the well, that day she had run away. She could leave them, but they didn't deserve her life, too. She had been lucky to have been brought here. But she felt like she had a life to get back to. She... She wanted to go home. Frau Hollis smiled. That was wonderful news. The girl realized she was crying. She wiped her face. It was? Frau Hollis helped the girl to her feet and hugged her. It was. Let's go, dear. As they walked, they entered a part of the forest that the girl thought she knew from her days, months, years there. But they came to something new. A gate. It was large and beautiful. And, without a word or a movement, it opened before them. The girl turned to Frau Halle. Would she ever see the woman again? Frau Halle shook her head. Not unless she made a habit of diving into wells. The girl embraced Frau Halle. She said goodbye, turned, and walked through the gate. On the other side, the rain came down. A sprinkle at first. It soon grew into a downpour, a torrent. The girl looked at her skin. The rain, it... It was gold, like actual gold, and it was sticking to her. She might have been afraid, but she knew that Frau Halle was in control. The rain grew and accumulated on her until she couldn't see. For a brief moment, she was floating in the beautiful, blissful darkness. Get her up, pull. Almost there, the girl heard. 
she was jerked from the water. The men, strangers, were pulling her from the well, holding her feet up so she didn't scrape the stones. They laid her down. She tried to ask them where she was, where was Frau Halle, but she couldn't speak. Not until she coughed up all the well water from her lungs. She sat up, gasping at the air. The men said that they turned the corner on the road and saw her jump into the well. Why would she do that? She she didn't just jump in. It, it had been months. Had it all been just some dying hallucination? Was none of it real? Had she dreamed only to awaken again to this nightmare? Then she felt something in her hand. She brought it up. It was a pouch. A pouch overflowing with gold. Did you get that in there? One of the young men asked. Then the other peered into the well. I mean, I guess I can see why she jumped in then. Just then, the young woman felt it. A spark of cold on her forehead. A snowflake touching down. Living for an instant, before becoming a drop that mixed in with the remaining well water. She looked up. And it was snowing. Somewhere, Frau Halle was shaking her feather bed until the feathers flew around the room. The young woman embraced the men, tossing them a few gold coins and thanking them for pulling her out. Then she ran home. The well wasn't far, and soon she was at her house. She walked right past her stepmother, still sitting at the table. The woman rose, shrieking after her daughter that she better have that spindle that fell in the well. She followed the girl to her room where she found her packing and changing. What did she think she was doing? I'm leaving, the young woman said. <laughs> the stepmother laughed. Leaving, and where was she going to go? What was she going to do? The young woman shrugged. She didn't know. Young men in the stories went to find their fortune, but uh, she already did that. She produced the bag of gold as she finished packing. She would figure it out, but she was dumb with the stepmother. Oh, and sorry about the spindle. This should cover it. She flicked a few gold coins on the floor, and the stepmother scrambled to them. Where did she get this? The young woman stood at the door, smiling. Frau Halle, the old woman at the bottom of the well. She wrapped her cloak around her, hefted her pack on her back, and walked out into the snow, not ever looking back. Did she really say the old woman at the bottom of the well? The stepmother's biological daughter asked, through tears, holding her bloody hand. She was standing on the lip of the well, looking down into the darkened water as her mother tightened the rope around her waist. A few drops of blood found the water below, causing it to ripple. The obviously great mother had expedited the process by shoving her daughter's hand in the thorn bush. Yeah, 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 you'll be fine. If she can handle it, you definitely can, the mother said. And pushed the girl in. She screamed, splashed, and there was silence for a few seconds before there was more screaming. This wasn't the brief terror of being dropped into the well or reaction to the frigid water. This was a full-throated, blood-curdling scream. Something was wrong. The mother pulled her daughter up, but the girl was limp on the end of the line still screaming, 
the mother pulled her up over the lip of the well, took one look at her daughter, and screamed herself. You see, the daughter, the stepsister, had made it to Frau Holly's realm, at the bottom of the well. She dropped on through and found herself in the mystical land. She, too, heard the yelling of the bread in the oven, the baker that, I guess, couldn't ever be bothered with sticking around when they made bread. She looked at the bread, yelling for her to please take it out, and she grimaced. That would get her hands all dirty. No, ew. The bread's yells became screams, but the daughter couldn't care less. She was looking for the old woman who lived at the bottom of the well. She passed the apple tree, whose shaking was not as dire as being a quickly burning loaf of bread in the oven, but he was annoyed that she wouldn't shake him. Finally, the sister came to Frau Halle's cottage. She said their stepsister had come, and she wanted the gold as well. Frau Halle looked at the girl. Oh, she was the sister. She took a deep breath. Sure, sure, she could have the same shot as the other daughter. But she had to do exactly what Frau Halle asked of her, the most important of which being shaking out the feather bed so that it snowed. Okay. The sister looked back to her. Oh, yeah, yeah, she got it, she got it. But uh, also, could Frau Halle maybe repeat all that starting at the beginning? She wasn't paying attention. Frau Halle took a deep breath. <sighs> took a total of maybe a week. The sister didn't know. It was hard to keep track of time. It was too long for her, and she was glad her duties had been completed successfully. That must have been why Frau Halle wanted her to leave so badly. She was too awesome. She asked for her gold, but Frau Halle only gestured to the gate. She should go through there. She would get what she deserved. The girl walked through the gate, and the rain started, and, like the rain for the stepdaughter, this rain stuck to the sister. Unlike the other rain, though, this one wasn't gold. It was black. The boiling hot rain was still steaming when her mother pulled her from the well and saw that the girl was burned and covered in quickly hardening pitch, fusing with her skin. And the story says that it didn't come off as long as she lived. So, like many other fairy tales, the true antagonist of the story, the evil stepmother, evades any kind of physical punishment for her abuse, which, eh, you know, whatever. And the lazy and kind of mean daughter took the brunt of the punishment. That being kind of worse, too, because she herself is an object of her mother's scorn. I guess you could say that any hope the mother had for increase in her own status and her daughter's advancement is dashed when she was permanently covered in pitch, but still, it's sad that the daughter had to experience that. Frau Halle is left over from when Christianity replaced the German and Scandinavian paganism in the early Middle Ages. In that, it's believed that Halle, or Mother Hulda, was a goddess to whom the children who died would go. She lives at the bottom of the well, rides a wagon, and came up with the idea of spinning linen from flax. A powerful woman who sometimes rode around on a distaff through the air. She was, to the people of the Middle Ages, a witch, of course. But the goddess lived on among the people in folk tales. If you've ever read Neil Gaiman's American Gods, she's like one of the old gods, hiding out in our world. Her power diminished, 
but still strong enough to help a young woman take back her life. She returned in today's story, not as a witch or a mother, but as a kind old woman in her fairy realm who showed a girl steeped in tragedy her own strength and sent her back to carry on her life triumphantly. I mean, also, don't cross her because, as we know, the gods in these old stories, they do not mess around. Listen to them and things go well for you. Ignore them or disrespect them and you might wake up at the bottom of a well covered in tar. Next week, we are back in the Mabinogian, in the third branch. Braderi has seen the other side of the war, and now he's coming home from Ireland to a complete wasteland. The creature this week is the Urisk, from Scotland. The Urisk is a creature I legitimately feel bad for. He, he just wants a friend. He's a half-goat, half-human, with flowing blonde hair, an interesting fashion choice of blue bonnet, and a frown. He sits by waterfalls and lives in the remote pools and rivers, just waiting for a friend. Of course, people do come by, and they'll see an Ursk sitting peacefully, wistfully dreaming of a friend. And when they see him, and their eyes meet, and the Ursk smiles because maybe, finally, he has found a friend, the person dies. Because the Ursk is, unfortunately, so ugly that he frightens people to death. So the Ursk will sigh and just look back down into his pool. There's a story of a time when, in the Scottish Highlands, one Ursk wanted something to eat, and not wanting to steal, he took his own wheat and stuck into a mill at night. The miller awoke at midnight to his mill moving, and he went out to find a shaggy goat monster, wearing a tasteful bonnet, but he was milling in the shadows, which is, I guess, why the miller didn't die instantly. The farmer demanded to know who was damaging his machinery. And the Urisk, the poor guy, could barely hold back tears of joy. Someone was greeting him, asking his name. He smiled and said that he was Urisk. He asked the man his name, and the miller said his own name was myself. Seeing as this was farther than he had ever gotten with a human before, Urisk said that he was pleased to meet the man and thanked the miller for his hospitality. Because the Urisk never had a human friend before, he had a hard time reading human social cues and misinterpreted the miller's gruff tone and demand to know who was in his house as an offer to stay. So that's what the Urisk did. He gathered some hay, laid down, and slept the sleep of a creature with friends. Unfortunately, he drastically misread the situation, and because of his inexperience with humans, didn't realize that he had just been Odysseus. Additionally, the miller didn't want a frighteningly ugly monster sleeping in his mill, and he didn't want to establish a precedent for that. So he apologized for the misunderstanding, and politely asked the Urist to leave. Ah, just kidding. He plucked a hot coal from the fire, with some tongs, and dropped it on the Urisk's lap. Awakening to the smell of burning hair and searing pain, the Urisk looked down, screamed, and bolted from the mill. As he rushed through the forest, still on fire, he passed other Urisks, who asked him what was wrong, who had done this to him. He simply screamed out, Myself! Myself did this! The others rolled their eyes and went back to sitting by their own ponds. Finally home, the Urisk dove into his pond, to an audible hiss. His one time making friends having ended with him being set ablaze, the Urisk decided to never attempt it again. So yeah, 
The takeaway here is that if you're lonely, don't ever try to make friends or do anything about your situation or someone might lie to you and set you on fire. The end. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. And I want to say thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring us this week. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? You should really check out BetterHelp. They assess your needs to match you with your own professional, licensed therapist, and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. Visit BetterHelp.com myths. That's better H-E-L-P and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Myths and Legends listeners get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com myths. All right, that's it. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.